Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Mench Warmers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports and uh, winning time recap podcast, maybe. <laughs> That's right. We From Stichel to winning time, the best Jewish uh, shows being recapped on our on our show. Yeah. Uh, I should happy say, Purim, Jamie. Yeah, we're taping this uh, the day before Erev Purim. On uh, Erev, Erev Purim. Erev, Erev Purim. It's uh, St. Pur- Purim Eve. St. Purim's Day coming up. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, Purim, uh, confluence. That seems to happen every every 10 years or so. I think so. Have you have you prepared your Irish Haman effigy? <laughs> I, I don't know what the uh, what the proper protocol is for St. Purim's Day. I guess watching a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. Uh, he's a famous sort of split Jewish-Irish extraction person. Ooh, I would say dyed green Slivovitz. Yeah, that's not bad. Or like a, uh, a mint jelly uh, hamantaschen. Oh, that's a great idea. A mint jelly hamantaschen. It sounds disgusting. Have you ever? It, that, that sounds terrible. But no, I not encourage mint you to jelly. make one. You could do like a chocolate mint. Like I think oh. you would like make like a mint chocolate drizzle right. to go yeah. on whatever you would make. Or maybe like a pistachio. That would be good. I don't know if that's traditionally an Irish flavor, but it is green. So a pistachio hamantaschen. I, actually, I think that would be delicious. Someone should. Someone yeah, should I think so too. I, if we have any Irish Jewish listeners out there, and I'm sure there's one of you i wonder if you would be able to sort of sort of co-opt the purim story in a not very sacrilegious way to be about the irish revolution like i feel like that's definitely been done in some irish synagogue talking about how like you know the the rise of republicanism there is a queen esther in that story there i'm i'm sure yeah you know i think there's there's common themes you know you can adapt king, it to the king local, george to the local, is a hash uh, yeah it's not bad Anyways, we have an interview coming up later with Dave Goss. Uh, Some hot Goss for you tonight. Exactly. Dave was one of our first guests ever uh, back in the old old version of the Canadian Jewish News. And we talked about the world of uh, Jews and soccer and anti-Semitism in European uh, European soccer. And, uh, you know, somehow in those three years, the uh, issue of anti-Semitism in, in world soccer has not gone away. Not gone away. And, and for the uninitiated, Dave is a broadcaster, a writer podcast host for MLS, MLS Live, and the USL. Um, And we're thrilled to have him here on the show uh, to discuss lots of going on in the news. It seems, you know, we'll get to this when we talk about the Dave interview, but we're going to be talking a lot about Roman Abramovich, probably the most notable Jewish sports owner in the world who owns one of the most valuable teams in the world who was now be selling his team. Um, We'll be talking about why and and how that's interesting to us and excited to hear what Dave has, has to say about it. Yeah, really excited to hear more about that. Um, before we get to that interview, we should go over a little bit of news. I think there's uh, one story that really, um, or, or sort of connected stories that's really been the focus of, of Jewish sports watchers for the last few weeks. And, and that's the end of the Yeshiva University season, as well as the sort of uh, Ryan Terrell era, I think is the, un- is, is, the, is the right way to put it. Unfortunately, the Maccabees basketball uh, tournament only lasted one day instead of eight, as we were hoping. <laughs> That's right. It's sort of a uh, reverse there no, Hanukkah. There's no miracle of the oil. For, there was for no Yeshiva miracle. It's, it's a reverse Hanukkah for the Yeshiva University Maccabees basketball team. But I think, I mean, I think you can qualify how important or impressive this era was uh, for Lazarus. And we should say they, they lost in the first round to Johns Hopkins in the Division Three tournament. Um, relatively, you know, it was a close game. They lost 63-59. Johns Hopkins, uh, one of the best teams in, in Division Three. Um, Are they all guys named John with hops? Uh, I think it's John's like that, hop. 
Kins? That, How many Johns are the, there? The Yeshiva versus uh, the Yeshiva versus Johns Hopkins basketball game must have like the highest number of future doctors of any basketball, <laughs> of any of any college basketball yeah. game that's ever been played. Are there are does Johns Hopkins have active medical students in their in their on their basketball team? I hope I, so. I, I, I believe that you can play Division three if you're a graduate student. I'm pretty sure you can. Um, so I don't know. They they ended up losing actually in the next round to Stockton. Um, but you know, John Stockton is still playing college basketball, just just Stockton college, but, uh, it's tough because all these teams play in in very, you know, they play pretty regionally. So it's hard to get a grasp on how great, sorry, how good each team is relative to another. Um, but anyways, back to Yeshiva, they ended their run. Ryan Terrell has, uh, now declared for the NBA draft. He is the leading scorer in in college basketball in all of college basketball, uh, you know, averaging over 27 points a game. So he is, he's done. Uh, he's done with his college career. He is eligible for the draft, we should say. He would be if he was drafted and if he plays I in think- the NBA. Essentially the first the first Orthodox Jew, you know, the first – in the time that we've had the term Orthodox, the first Orthodox Jew to play in the NBA. And I think that would be really something. It, it would, remains it would to be, be something whether, whether or not that happens, I guess. I don't, I don't know if, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen if he'll actually make the NBA, 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 but I would imagine somebody will give him a practice and a tryout and maybe a summer league game. I, I agree. Um, and, you know, I, I've said this before that like the fact that more New York and LA sports teams haven't capitalized on their significant and um, uh, let's say, you know, very um, engaged. Yeah, very engaged Jewish sports uh, fans by sort of, you know, having some Jews on the roster. I, I, I think I, what I mean to say is there's real, a real opportunity there. So I'm not saying that, you know, the Knicks have to put him on the bench and be the 15th man just for the sake of uh, placating <laughs> some Jewish fans. What, what about the not, There's an opportunity. <laughs> I think it'd be just as big if he played for the Westchester Knicks. We'll see what happens. It seems, it seems based on, you know, the mock drafts that I've looked at, it's unlikely he's going to get drafted. Who knows how his how his summer goes? Um, you know, showing up for scouts and and uh, and doing some training camps and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I think we could easily see him be an undrafted player who signed for a for a summer deal, um, or we'll see him play overseas. So you know, still lots to see for Ryan Terrell. I, I think I think what's sort of so amazing is is what he did for you know, and he is sort of this amazing player did for the Yeshiva basketball team. You know, when they had that winning streak earlier this year. The NBA tweeted out about how amazing it was. You know, the the national, uh, you know, national news organizations, ESPN, wrote articles about them. It was an amazing story. It was, uh, you know, a a real, a real uh, example of you know Jews excelling in sports in a way that was unexpected. And it helps, and it's good for the people. Yes, he's six foot seven, which is not you know traditional amongst the Jewish people. But you've got this you know sort of gangly, floppy haired kid with a little blue yarmulke sort of hanging out above his like curls above his right. ringlets all over his head. And they're like bouncing as he's draining three ball after three ball after three ball. Um, you know, he just the other day, right before the tournament, the warm up game, you know, an Instagram reel from ESPN showed him, you know, uh, just with a yamaka hanging out, knocking down three after three after three. It was great to watch and people get excited. We got sent that clip. I got sent that clip on my personal accounts. It's, it's always exciting when when a Jew makes the mainstream news, uh, you know, for something other than and he's Jewish. But this is like get a load of this D three guy and he's Jewish, and and I'm all for it. I think it's true. It's a very visible example of of a Jewish athlete. Um, 
it's someone who's very openly, proudly Jewish, sort of not, uh, it's not just incidental to the fact, to, to his life, he's playing at Yeshiva University. Um, so obviously we wish him well, and we wish the Yeshiva team well as well. I mean, I don't think there's any reason why they can't build on the success. Um, and, you know, Terrell was someone who had been recruited by uh, Division One programs, you know, certainly mm-hmm. could have gotten a shot playing Division One basketball uh, at a non-traditionally Jewish university and chose to go to Yeshiva, partly because he wanted to, you know, honor that part of himself and, and to continue his, his Jewish studies. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's a path that somebody else takes. Uh, you know, Elliot Steinmetz, the coach, is uh, someone we've talked about having on this podcast, and hopefully we will be able to arrange that soon. Uh, but I think, you know, he's there to continue building this program and, and see what they can do in the future. And, you know, ideally somebody like Ryan Terrell, who sort of already is, is you know, a legend in his, from his high school days and now in sort of the Jewish college scene, like hopefully this takes other, you know, California where it's from, but other sort of young Jewish basketball players and, and keeps the program strong. Yeah. Um, you know, he could sort of have a Vince Carter effect like Vince Carter had in Toronto, um, you know, like, like Ryan Terrell might have for day school, California <laughs> basketball. And then, and then, um, you sure. know, and then Yeshiva right after. Yeah. And to, and for them to see that, you know, Oh, you know, actually maybe I could be a basketball player. Maybe that could be my job. Um, yeah. You know, we've seen we've seen something similar with with Coach Steinmetz's son, Jacob Steinmetz, uh, I think, who made his debut today as a pitcher. He was picked in the third round uh, yeah. by the Arizona Pitched Diamonds in the minor league spring training game today. Yeah. And made his debut. And, and again, similarly, we're seeing, you know, we'll, we'll see. We've talked about this before. It's going to be years before we know whether he's going to be uh, called up to the big leagues. But he's a guy who is a visible, uh, you know, vocal Jew. And it's great to see, it's great. It's great to see that. It's great to see that. Is there any, and is I there think, any I think, other kind? Well, I think the representation is the, is the really important thing. And, and it's something that I hope uh, young, young viewers, young sports fans are going to see and uh, try to emulate. So good luck to them. Good luck to Ryan Terrell. This isn't the last we're going to be talking about him. No, um, absolutely not. Yeah. Moving uh, to the other uh, stick and ball sport that we tend to follow. Uh, Gabe, do you, you happen to catch the the five, six, five and a half day players championship at all this week? Uh, I did. It was great. Unfortunately, you know, we had a, a wonderful, I guess I was going to say Sunday, Monday, Sunday on a Monday, from yeah. Sunday to Monday from uh, Jewish athletes and fair weather friends of the pod, Max Homa and Daniel Berger, um, who both put in great performances on in the fourth round, um, but both fell a little short. Yeah, so Homa Homa had a uh, 66 on on Monday, uh, ended up at six under. As did Berger. They both tied for 13th, which is a great showing at such a at such a difficult players championship. You know, Berger played some of his second round on um, Saturday morning when it was the worst conditions, and I think yeah, and horrible because wind. Of that. Yeah, exactly. He was he was part of that group that was out when the wind was the worst, and uh, you know, I think as a result of that, he was a few shots back yesterday on monday and had to take some chances you know he put one in the water on on 15 i think and you know yeah. if it hadn't been for that if it hadn't been for that risk he had to take and playing into those tough conditions could have seen an even higher finish and you know i've said it before but i think he is going to be in contention at, at, at the majors this year um he is putting and in a good run he they he both sim- have wins they'll both be at all the majors yeah and and Berger also sh- should mention also fell short the week before at the honda classic um, where mm-hmm. he was, he was the 20, I think he was the 18, 36, 54 hole leader and, uh, but ended up sort of blowing up in the last hole. So, 
you know, he's, he's a guy who has a high, a high ceiling um, as high as it can go, but, you know, we'll have to see whether he can control some of those impulses and, uh, you know, really just put together some error free rounds uh, that'll allow him to, to really compete in, in some majors. No, it'd be, it'd be wonderful to see. Yeah. And any other uh, sports news you wanted to talk about before we get to our interview with Dave? Um, you know, uh, just another, another Jewish sport or Jewish athlete to follow the F1 season starts this weekend. Okay. Um, the Aston Martin team helmed by uh, Jewish Schmutta billionaire, uh, La- Lawrence Stroll and his son, Lance, um, whose legal name may or may not be Strulovich. We're working on it. We know that was their name, whether or not it is still Strulovich instead of Stroll, we'll find out. But season starts this weekend in Bahrain. Um, while they may be the only Jews in Bahrain this weekend, let's hope <laughs> that they uh, uh, leave the country with um, some F1 points and can can bring a little nachos to Jewish F1 fans all over the world. How did they do uh, last year? What position? Not good. Like, is it an Dave's overall not finish for the year, right? Um, yeah. So in the overall finish for the year, um, you know, the, the, the feeling was really, really high that Aston Martin would do well. Um, they had signed Sebastian Vettel. Lance was getting better and better every year. Unfortunately, uh-huh. the team slipped down to seventh, uh, overall, whereas the previous season, I think they were in fifth or fourth. Um, but they dropped down to, to seventh, um, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, they still were better than, than, sort of the Ferrari B team, Alfa Romeo and the Mercedes B team Williams. Um, but seventh is sort of not where they want to be. So we're hoping, you know, as, as fans of Jewish athletes that Lance can get, uh, uh, get some good results in and the team does well. All right. Good luck. To, good luck to Lance Stroll and the Aston Martin team. Uh, uh, let's go to our interview with Dave Goss. We're here live on tape with, Dave Goss, David Goss, uh, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Is it Dave or David? It's David when I introduce myself, but I never correct anyone if they call me Dave. Well, I'll, I'll pretend you just corrected me. We're here with David Goss, sports broadcaster, host of multiple MLS podcasts uh, on the daily and uh, much, much more, which I'm sure he'll tell us about. Dave, welcome to the show. Once again, returning guest, you're our first returning guest. The, uh, the technology is way different this time. Last time I was on, there was a weird echo chamber where I was hearing everything three times. So you oh, guys yeah. have really upped your game. We have. We have microphones. That now. last time, yeah, that last time Gabe and I were sitting in a room together, like huddled over a cell phone calling <laughs> you. And and no one no one had even heard of Zoom. You know, this was a time before Zoom, before uh, a better this world. was just part of our normal lives. So now we're all such pros at it. We know how to interview people uh, through video phone, but uh, yeah, but times have gotten worse in other ways. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, if you're to introduce yourself to an audience on that happy note, <laughs> please, Dave, who are you and what are you doing here? Uh, my name is David. I am from New York. I live in New York because it's the greatest city in the world. It's debatable, but it's worth a debate, which makes me so happy to make people you know, do that in their lives because it makes people so unhappy that aren't from New York. Uh, I've worked as a sports broadcaster (laughs) now for about 12 years. Um, I cover soccer and basketball mainly. Um, So a lot of college basketball, I do play by play and color analysts and sideline reporting. Um, And then on soccer, I work as a play by play analyst or a play by play broadcaster as well, mainly in Major League Soccer, USL, CONCACAF, um, women's soccer, college soccer, things like that. 
And then, as you mentioned, um, I work for Major League Soccer uh, fairly often. I host their official quote unquote podcast twice a week called Extra Time. So if you are a fan of soccer in this region, feel free to listen. Uh, And now I just launched three weeks ago a daily Twitter spaces show that becomes a podcast called MLS Today. Um, In general, I've been a diehard soccer fan since, oh, 2003. So that gives me almost 20 years. Uh, I've seen games on, let's see, one, two, five continents, four continents. Uh, What's your favorite continent to have watched a soccer game? My favorite continent to have watched a soccer. Well, my first World Cup, my first senior World Cup game was in Brazil, which is pretty special. Um, They're pretty Mm -hmm. big soccer fans there. Oh, so, stadiums there looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that went pretty well. Um, although my first World Cup game, because technically Youth World Cups count, was in Montreal at the Big Up Stade Olympique ah, uh, in 2007. That was one of the worst stadiums. Yeah, one that must have been about as far from a Brazilian soccer experience it as you could get. actually phenomenal because Poland played Brazil and U.S. played South Korea in a doubleheader. I didn't realize how many Polish people there were in Canada. And we got on the Metro to go to the stadium and it was packed with poles with drums screaming and chanting and Poland beat Brazil one zero that day. And it was that's amazing. Was there, anywhere, wait, was there anywhere to hold on to? That was, a pole, that was a pole. That was a poles joke, joke. Oh, packed God. with poles joke. Thank you. Pretty thank bad. you. Poles, oh, David poles, like on a subway. Uh, that was but, rough. You're here to talk about not so much the Polish, but more the Jewish um, and a couple of big stories that are so in kind the, of the uh, same thing is what kind of the same thing. That's true. Half of me, for example, uh, you're here to talk about a couple of uh, Jewish shock stories. Um, one sort of timely one. For our listeners who may not know, there is currently a war going on in the Ukraine put forth by Russia. It's not the Ukraine. I'm sorry. In Ukraine, uh, a war of aggression from Russia. We are not equivocating on this program. I think we've picked a side and it's not Putin. Is that yeah. correct? Everyone? Okay, great, great. Have that in there. Oh, really? I thought this was one of the Putin shows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to leave, this would be the right time. Yeah. But uh, one, of, one of Putin's friends, Roman's countrymen, uh, uh, I use Roman's as a pun, Roman Abramovich owns what I think is now the third most valuable sports franchise in the world. That is Chelsea. Uh, And my understanding is that due to some combination of global economic sanctions and social pressure, he is going to sell the team. David, what's going on there? So uh, it seems like uh, for Rowan Abramovich, who has not been at a game in Chelsea, I think for four years now, because he's not been able to go back. Yeah, he hasn't been able to go back to England and be... um, Accepted to the games. Is, um, is what, why, if you don't mind me asking, that's the, he has he has an outstanding legal case occurring in England that has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. Um, gotcha. Obviously, in the bigger picture, it has things to do with it because uh, it's all connected for him. But it has nothing. He technically has Portuguese citizenship, um, which right, which is, which is is it has been its own controversy yes. recently. Because he got Portuguese citizenship through this program that they've had over the last several years to uh, return, I guess, citizenship to people with some or both Portugal and Spain have returned citizenship to uh, people who can trace their lineage back to Jews who fled the Iberian Peninsula. And it seems like for Abramovich, that might have been total bullshit. And the (laughs) rabbi might have just faked everything to get him Portuguese citizenship. (laughs) 
I mean, he's yeah. also he's also an Israeli citizen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and he's actually proudly Jewish. He's actually um, he was fairly well connected in the soccer scene in Israel. Um, he right. used to fund the cup tournament that yeah. FA or the third cup. So I think it was the Toto Cup in Israel. And then this was the third competition. Um, and he, uh, for example, is friends with Robert Kraft and had Chelsea come to Boston a week after their season ended three years ago to play a game against anti-Semitism at Gillette mm-hmm. Stadium against right. the New Wait, England Revolution. Who played for anti-Semitism? Well, <laughs> it was a competitive squad <laughs> rolled out there. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a competitive <laughs> soccer squad. Yeah, um, which was a weird thing. And I actually think, I can't remember who, but a prominent Chelsea player ended up getting injured in that game and was out for a large amount of time. It is a very odd thing to do. Um, so yeah, he has... He has, he's obviously involved in the game. He's, as you said, he is proudly Jewish, although fairly Soviet Jewish. Um, there doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be a lot of Jewish customs going on, um, but he is. No, but, you know, extremely, I, w- I mean, I guess the way you're proudly Jewish when you're worth $11 billion is by throwing money around. Um, yeah. And he seems to do so quite generously to a, a myriad of Jewish causes. Absolutely. So back to your original question. Um, obviously, as the war in Ukraine began uh, and we've seen now sanctions come out across the world and countries start to talk tougher and tougher. And I, from the outside looking at him, I'm not an expert. Um, Boris Johnson was actually fairly aggressive, pr- fairly quickly about the UK being a leader in Europe, for sure, um, right. on these sanctions, as well as around the world. Um, and obviously Brexit. So they're not part of the EU anymore. So they don't control that much. And so initially what Roman Abramovich did was he gave the team control to the trust of the, um, of the N of the nonprofit section of Chelsea. Right. So, so that was sort mm-hmm. of like a, you know, a, a board of people who were, you know, connected to the team or been involved with the team in different ways and sort of, they were just going to have like steward stewardship over the, over the team for the time being, right? Yes. Now, the look from the outside was supposed to be, look, these are good people because this is a nonprofit. Turned out they are the exact same people that are on the board. It is, <laughs> right, it, right. It, it, you could have cut out the part about it being the nonprofit wing and it would have been the same people that were running the team. Um, so this was a way to sort of meander around. And it felt like that was going to be it uh, because we've seen this so often. And um, if, if anyone doesn't follow soccer heavily and, it obviously won't surprise you because once you're talking about billionaires, you're rarely talking about a really good person. But <laughs> Roman Abramovich is sort of considered the start of what has become uh, a move of sports washing for major billionaires or countries around the world. And the Premier League is the most popular league in the world. And so from when he bought into Chelsea, since then, you've had um, corrupt Thai prime ministers by teams. You've had. Middle Eastern countries by teams through their royal families. Um, you've had other oligarchs by teams as well, as well as American billionaires. All of that is a lot of times to use the sport to sort of gain popularity. So it felt like this was going to be hmm. it because this is sort of how the rules have been built now is, yeah, let's find a wink, wink way to pretend you're not making money or involved and we'll all move on. Um, right. And that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be that the British government you know, is that, pursuing this to the last extent. That, that issue of, of sports washing, as, as you put it, um, is an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about it in this in this case, but but of course, that is, I, you know, that's probably the, the reason for buying in in the first place. 
um, you know, that otherwise you're just, I don't know the other oligarchs who have billions of dollars parked around the world um, by name, really, but I, I, I know Abramovich, you know, I don't know what yeah. that, what that means necessarily, but I think it's sign it signals that, you know, he has, he has, uh, you know, used his real currency to, to buy some cultural currency as well. Yeah, is there, and, is there and maybe that protects him to a certain degree. Is there a competition, I guess, amongst the charitable and the Jewish oligarch uh, to be like the least bad or the <laughs> best, like to be the popular oligarch? Like, I know you think about somebody like Elon Musk, who, you know, would be called an oligarch in another country, who just sort of like is down with the memes and tries to to be funny and be interesting um, with, you know, to to maybe sort of Internet wash the, the things he does. Um, I wonder if if. Everything, you know, everything is a wash these days. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I wonder I don't, if part of sports washing is is that. Yeah, being the one good it, billionaire. Yeah, a hundred percent it is. Um, I don't think there's any Russian oligarch that's down with the memes. I don't think that's the vibe of Russian powerful men. Yeah. Um, but but a hundred percent, I think both in, in terms of of what you mentioned with Abramovich being popular, but also look at the reaction right now. You've got Chelsea fans who are graffitiing walls in London saying but look at the other clubs or mm -hmm. he's not starting the war. Like there are, there are people who have no association to Russia defending both Roman Abramovich and Chelsea right now. And that was the point of right. this whole mm -hmm. thing. You also put Roman Abramovich in the inner circle of a group that has helped Russia over the last 20 years be normalized, which was bringing champions league finals, bringing the world's cup, bringing European championship games, right? The soccer world has brought, Russia into Europe and put Russia on a pedestal. Azerbaijan's doing the same thing right now with Baku because they're technically part of UEFA. They host championship games. They've hosted European they have championship an F1 games. Race. They have an F1 race, <laughs> all of those things. So having the Olympics Bramovich, too, I think. Or maybe not. They bid for the Olympics. Yeah, they bid for the Olympics. Yeah. As a Kazakhstan, actually, which is not part of Europe, but I always find that fascinating. Um, Do you know Gary Kasparov is from Baku? Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a Jewish sports connection to, to everything. That's all. <laughs> Anyways, Dave, just to, just to um, tie up in terms of where we're at now, um, Abramovich has said that he will be selling the team or has sort of been forced into selling the team. And that's where we stand now, correct? Yes. It's very confusing because to sell the team, he'd have to make a profit. And right now he's not allowed to make money off the team. And so, so it seems like the government's going to have to take control in a certain way, dismantle it and resell it what feels like is happening is the club will no longer exist the way we know it um, rather than just finding a new owner like Steve Ballmer in place of whatever the creepy guy's name was with the LA Clippers. And we all moved on in the same uh, iteration. It feels like this is probably going to be a death kneel to the club, but it, we're not hundred percent sure. And, and how could a club that's been around as long and as iconically and as successfully as Chelsea just sort of stop existing? You know, they, um, you know, they can continue to sell tickets and, and TV rights. Like there has to be somebody willing to take on that. Because uh, there's relegation. So if they drop out of the first division, they lose some of that TV rights money and they yeah. can keep dropping. Portsmouth is a fairly large, famous, famous club. They're in the third division. Um, Sunderland's in the third division as well. They've got that Netflix show. A lot of people follow them for. I mean, those teams are making one one eight hundredth of what the Premier League teams are making. It's actually not unheard of for it to happen. Uh, and also what's interesting about Roman Abramovich is what you just said, uh, pre-Roman Abramovich, they'd won, I think, one English title. 
So their prestige yep. and their history is actually fairly recent. Uh, it's one of the things the other fans of big teams hold against them. And so they, even if they were to just re- regress to that, they would be a borderline Premier League team. Something that's, and, and that, is, there you know, no, is there no possibility that they could just have some sort of, you know, community ownership, like the way the Green Bay Packers has, or, or does British, does British soccer system, like, does it require a, a big, you know, a deep pocketed owner to be there, you know, able to sort of foot the bill? I mean, after all, their, their liabilities on a year to year basis are, are certainly in the hundreds of millions in terms of what they owe players. Now they can usually make more money than that, but but do you need someone who who can be there to write the checks just in case? So you you definitely can have community ownership. Um, none of these teams make a profit right now. None okay. of them operate fully off of what they make, uh, especially Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea, PSG, Man City. It's part of what's going wrong for Barcelona right now is they are fan owned. They do mm-hmm. operate within their means. They have tried to operate like these other teams and they've spent themselves into a debt. So there are fan-owned teams in England. Most of them are in lower divisions. There's a fan-owned team, for example, of Man U fans who left when the Glazers took over because they were the first really big international owners and they were disgusted by the concept of it. So there is a Manchester... And let's just gloss team. over that they may be Jewish. Let's just, <laughs> let's just ignore that. It, it doesn't feel like that's what happened, but it could be. And then there was a team that was moved um, out of Wimbledon to MK Dons and the Wimbledon fans recreated their team. All of them are in the fourth or fifth division. So most likely if that's the route that it went, they would not, they would no longer be a Premier League team. So that's so interesting. A, I didn't, sorry, go ahead. Gabe. Sorry, go on. I, I mean, if I have a cultural question about Chelsea, just sort of reminding this, you know, Chelsea sort of has been previously, as you mentioned, they weren't very successful. They were also somewhat of a haven for the national front party of Britain, mm-hmm. very famously, you know, the modern 70s neo-fascist, you know, outwardly racist party of Britain. National Front fans tended to be Chelsea fans, if my British soccer history is correct. You are correct. And or vice versa. Uh, and Abramovich bought the team, spent a lot of time and money kicking anti-Semitism out of the stands in both Chelsea and elsewhere. Do you think that without, and elsewhere in the, in you know, in the Premier League, do you think with the team relegated and perhaps not having such a big owner, this sort of fan group could come back. The the, the racist ultras, not yeah. just your your casually racist ultras, the actual, you know, straight up, will the National Front take Chelsea over again if they're playing against Wrexham and or Huddlesmith or, or Piddleton or whatever? <laughs> uh, I think you named two real teams in there, so that's not okay. bad. Um, yeah. Wrexham is owned by Ryan Reynolds now. so that, Okay, that's, that's why well I've heard done. of it. I think... Uh, I, I think Piddleton is from a Mitchell and Webb episode about cricket, but nice. Uh, anyway, uh, no, I uh, the the Premier League is pretty um, sanitized now. It's NBA, NFL levels. Um, a lot of that stuff was when the the stadiums had standing room only. It was less restricted. There wasn't as many TV cameras around, and and we've seen um, Chelsea fans went to play. Chelsea went to play PSG. Chelsea fans were in Paris. They got caught on video chanting racist things at a black person and then pushing him off the train uh, and they were charged. It's uh, when Chelsea and all these things happened. It also happened in the rest of the game with just Mm -hmm. cleaning up the stadiums, making people feel safer to go families, you know, kids, stuff like that. And so, yeah, if you drop really far down, maybe those elements come back in, but Mm -hmm. they won't be an influential group. 
that it'll exist in. And so I don't know that that's as much of a worry. Also, anti-Semitism's dead, so we're good. Right. So that, that's a good segue <laughs> to, to one of the other topics that we wanted to talk about, which is that uh, Tottenham Hotspur, which has traditionally been the team in the English Premier League or in the English football world that's most associated with Jews and Jewish fans, has uh, well, a long their thread fans, of Jewish owners. Yeah. It has now asked their fans to move on from the Y word, um, which had been, you know, the, the word obviously is Yid and had been used by their fans and supporters to sort of refer to themselves and refer to the team. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I think that was the reason I was on the show the first time. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that, that was the first that, that I was thinking about that because I listened to the old episode. And that's what we talked about three years ago was the okay. sort of issue of, you know, is it an endearing use of the word Yid or is it an offensive one or something in between? And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see that Tottenham has now done this. In, in I, other I, words, I suspect that part of it is pass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suspect that part of it is the, you know, Disneyfication of, of everything and sports right. and just wanting to make it a more family friendly place and, uh, you know, Jew, Jew friendly place in some regard as well. Although I've, I've read some Jews who say, you know, I love being referred to as a Yid when I was there and it made me feel welcome to have a place that was, you know, uh, embracing Judaism in a, in, in a, in a bizarre way. And that's what, uh, some of the people who are fighting to keep it, uh, say that it's taking over the word, taking over the term, um, taking it from anti-Semites so they can't use it against you. Uh, the history for anyone who didn't listen to the episode from three years ago is that Tottenham is a Jewish neighborhood in North London. Um, Tottenham is the big team there. Arsenal is the other big team in the area. They both actually have a large Jewish following. Uh, and then you had other fans start to call them the Yids because that's what they thought of when they thought of Tottenham. And it right. sort of had its ups and downs, but there have been moments where Tottenham has embraced it to sort of fight back. Uh, I think I told the story on the last show of them having a large amount of Jewish fans come and at the same time all show their... Um, I don't know what we call it, McGillis to the crowd to show the circumcision and, and be, <laughs> be, be pro Jewish. Uh, and so they came to this term, which was Yid Army. They are the Yids, up the Yids. A lot of terms right. that every sports team, or sorry, every soccer team uses, they just were putting it, you know, uh, Red Army is what Arsenal calls themselves. Uh, up the Gunners is what Arsenal says. So they, these are not terms that they're making up. They're just putting Yid in there. Um, and it's kind of gone on fairly quietly i think for a really long time and when and when i came on the show what i said was it is a caricature and um there is no knowledge around it there isn't uh education around it being used and it's closer to the cleveland indians and their use of those people and the drawings that they use and the images of people than it is to actually respecting people and i think in an in an area in England in general, which doesn't have a large Jewish population, you create an image and an idea that it's okay to say this and it's okay to talk about people this way. Uh, and I think that's, to me, where it's always been negative and this makes a ton of sense. Uh, right. So the club put out a statement, um, I think a few months ago at this point, saying that we're going we're gonna to cease using this. We're asking fans to stop using this. Uh, and I believe... I think it was the Oxford Dictionary said that it was a racist slur a few years back. Okay. And that's sort of where this spurt came from, spurred on by the Spurs, mm -hmm. Tottenham Hotspurs. Spurs is what they go by otherwise. Right. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. I'll finish with this because Daniel Levy, who's the owner of the team, is very conscious 
and very involved with everything he does. He is not one of the wealthier owners. Um, and he micromanages every bit of that club to try and keep them competitive. And he's all about becoming a global team, becoming a global image. And I think being associated to this has no positive nature in that. Right. So do you think it'll be successful then? I mean, it's one thing to put out a, a, a you know, it's one thing to put out a statement saying, please stop, please stop doing this anti-Semitic thing, fans. Um, will the fans abide by that? Like, will they listen? Will they stop using the term or, you know, the various ways that they've been using it? I think so, because I think um, like all teams, but as I'm saying what Daniel Levy wants, as the fan base grows globally, I think you have people that aren't knowledgeable of that. I, okay. I would argue that I could meet genuine Tottenham fans in New York City and they don't know that they're called that because Spurs has taken over. The Spurs has taken over. Um, and so I, I, I think there'll be a group of fans who will try to use it. They probably won't be able to afford to go to games much longer because they've moved to a new stadium and up the prices and all that. Uh, <laughs> and my assumption would be the average fan isn't even engaged in that. They don't consider that a huge part of their fandom. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it goes away pre- fairly easily. And will that be true of road games too? I know there's something we talked about in the last episode and something that, you know, has been talked about in a lot of different places that a lot of the anti-Semitic language and the anti-Semitic violence happens when Spurs are on the road. Um, you know, anti-Semitic things that that Chelsea fans or maybe not necessarily Arsenal fans, but, you know, uh, fans all over England and even in the Champions League would chant at players and rival fans. Is that, is that going to go away too? Or is there always going to be some some element probably not um you have fans throwing bananas at black players across some of these stadiums uh so that's not really yeah i wouldn't be surprised if it continues on in away games in italy in eastern europe Mm -hmm. um spain wherever else that happens um and also what you tend to get is the the uh, away traveling fans are the hardcores they stir up a different level of animosity from the home fans. It's a different atmosphere and environment than the average fan who goes to a home game. Um, because to take the time to travel, to be able to get a ticket means you kind of have to go to everything to be like first on the list to get a ticket. You I end see. up getting sort of the worst atmospheres out of the away fans and then their experience with the intense home supporters and what's going on. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it's a, ongoing topic i mean every it seems like every four or five months there's a major yeah. anti-semitism issue in uh world soccer of some sort uh, and we'll continue to cover it and uh dave hopefully be able to have you back on for a third time uh you can be our first three-peat guest to uh to talk about the next i'm gonna be the tom hanks or whoever's yeah, we'll ha- well, yeah exactly the, um, the Fox maybe, Timers maybe, Club, exactly. We'll have to have you back on in, in a few months and you can tell us if there are any Jewish players uh, playing in the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah, that'll be fun, huh? That'll be a good <laughs> one for people. Will they be allowed into the country? Uh, I mean, I think, I think they have to let them in. Uh, part of sports washing is pretending you don't care about these things until 20 minutes after they leave. You know, so, it, it might be a non-issue. I, I, I don't actually know if there's any Jews who will make it on any of the national teams. Hmm. I mean... Um, I just don't know does, if there's any that on based on any of the countries that are there. Does DeAndre Yedlin still play for the Cup, USA? So. He is on the border of being a player for the team. Oh. He was on, he was in the last camp. Uh, he came back to MLS uh, a few weeks ago to, to sign with Inter Miami, who are the worst team in the league. So that might affect him. 
but, right, but yeah, that's he, a, but that's a U.S. men's national team, right? Yeah. Uh, they're not they're not going to make the World Cup. Let's be honest. Nice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're, you're talking to two, two Canadian uh, Canadian super fans here. Uh, yeah. You know. you, yeah. Gabe, now that Gabe went, Gabe went to an outdoor game in January to cheer on Team Canada. So now that you guys are good, you're going to punch down at people for the first time in 45 years. I don't know what you're talking you're talking about. I've been a diehard Canada men's <laughs> uh, soccer team since uh, since for, the days since of for, Brian yeah. Budd. Absolutely, that guy. I've never heard of that name either. <laughs> uh, the Budgie. Oh, he was. I, don't know the I think he was on the '85 World Cup team. Well, there uh, was no World Cup in '86. '86. '86. Whatever yeah. it was, the last the team, time Canada. The, our, made. our country hasn't made the World Cup since before we were born, and I think everyone is like, Dave, you probably don't know this, but I mean, similar to New York, where I'm sure during the World Cup and Euros, you have local um, ethnic groups from different yeah. countries. Yeah, going going the nuts. The enclaves want to show the their way. colors, and I think that you know, obviously, they're not going to stop cheering for Greece or Italy or Portugal or whatever uh, country they want to cheer for. But I think the amount of soccer fans there are in this country is going to be very much behind Canada as well. At, at the very least, the second team and the support for Canada is, is going to be amazing. It's it's I think it's really going to be a really fun scene. It's been you know thirty six years since we've made a World yeah. Cup and. It looks like we're making it this time. So and they're good. They're good. They're they're fun. They're young. It's gonna be it's gonna be really special. I cover them a lot, obviously, because MLS is a bi-national league. And so we cover them. And I'm I've somehow become the Canadian on my platforms because we don't actually hire Canadians, which is its own problem. Um (laughs) so I'm I'm the representation and I've been most positive about them for the longest, um, because I felt like this was coming. And so yeah, I'm really excited about them. Um, I'm excited about what they can do against really good teams because they're sort of set up well to counter. And so sit mm-hmm. deep counter Alfonso Davies, Jonathan, David, Kyle Larry, and guys like that. Uh, so I think they could be a threat right. and they could be fun. It's funny. I, I actually, you might've been there, David. I don't remember. I went to, I was at a, a Canada versus USA game in November of 2019 where there were about, I would say 500 people in the entire stadium. <laughs> you guys uh, won and- that game. Yeah, and Canada beat the U.S. And, like, that was the day it felt like it all changed. That since then, the Canadian team has really started to pick up and, and get, get quite, quite good. Um, but before we go, we're sort of running out of time here to of Dave's valuable, valuable time. Before we go, just a quick question for you. Um, today is, is March 15th. We're recording this. and we, It is Erev, Erev, Purim. Do you have any exciting plans for the rest of this week? Not at Bacon, all. Bacon, hamantashen, or... or Going to, I go to I go, go to, to Brown Bakery, and flip some cars. Yeah, I go to Bread's Bakery for my hamantashens. They do an apple one, which I like a lot, Ooh, uh, and a chocolate one, idea. which is very good. Yeah, I wouldn't do apple, but they do it so well that I'll buy it from them anyway. Um, otherwise, in my area, it's more avoiding Perm because there is the. Uh, 18 year old Hasidic kids who are having the best night of their lives and (laughs) sort of just keeping your head down and hoping you don't get hit by the school buses that they rent to drive around on and party. Wow. It's It's, it's like like trying to avoid writing on the side. Yeah. 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 Well, I try to try to have a fun Purim and and hopefully they don't keep you up all night uh, partying too hard. And, and, you know, you, you too can get so drunk. You don't know the difference between Mordecai and Haman. Yeah, that is true. You get so drunk, you don't know the difference between Tottenham and Chelsea. What a day it would be. Between Roman Abramovich and Daniel Levy, the two Jewish owners, or Malcolm Glazer, any of the Jewish owners. Get so drunk, you can't tell the difference between MLS and uh, Premier League soccer. 
Can I? I can't. So that's my job not to. So I'm good at that. Can I just say if it ends being if this whole conflict in Ukraine ends with Zelensky across the table from Roman Abramovich in Jerusalem, the people who say Jews control the world might have have a little bit of credence in there. I realized that about a week ago as Naftali Bennett kept inviting everyone to Jerusalem. It's it's amazing. Too much fuel for the fire. Yeah. This isn't really a sports thing, but what to me, the craziest thing is that there is finally a Jew that is heavily involved in the current geopolitical climate as a world leader. And people are behind him. Like he's not the villain (laughs) that the Jewish guy is the hero of this story, which is different than every, than like Shakespeare is rolling in his grave. (laughs) It probably helps that he doesn't really know he's Jewish. That probably (laughs) makes people like him more. Yeah. These must be the end times. Anyways, David, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, our first repeat guest. Really, really great to have you on. Uh, and thanks so much for talking to us about it. Yeah. Blast. Thanks for having me. Hag Sameach, everyone. A great mitzvah. Kurim Sameach. Have a wonderful week. Big thanks to Mr. Goss for appearing on our show for the second time. Our first repeat guest coming in and bringing that wonderful insight and information he has soccer the globe over before we end this episode we want to share with you a story about the cjn circle sort of a a family of like-minded jews around the country listeners readers friends those who have joined the cjn circle receive a quarterly magazine that features yours truly my partner james our producer michael's editorial guidance and a weekly printed home edition, which may or may not feature all three as well, <laughs> including the country's Jewish news. Finally, if you're a member of the CJN Circle, you'll get exclusive email newsletters and invites to events, which, once again, may or may not include the three of us. It's a known unknown whether or not we'll be there, but something we're very excited to share. So you can join at the cjn.ca slash circle, and that's the word circle. C-I-R-C-L-E, not an actual circle that you'd make on your iPad. Yeah, Gabe, you and I wrote a piece that should be appearing in the print edition soon about who is the Gadja, the uh, greatest of all time. Uh, I can't remember the acronym. Greatest all-time diaspora Greatest all-time diaspora Yiddish athlete. Yeah, a play on the term GOAT. Um, but uh, we debate who is the greatest, greatest Jewish athlete of all time. And we will be hosting a little Mensch Madness this month with a online voting for who is the greatest Jewish athlete of all time. So look out for more details about that. Uh, We should have links to that and the voting soon uh, to commemorate March. You know, Gabe, it's my, it's my favorite time of year. It's Purim's coming up a few days, Passover's uh, not long after that. And you know what that means is the baseball season's coming back soon. So it's it's, it's the best time of year. It's so soon. I'm very excited for the Gudya tournament because we'll finally find out in the the, you know, who will be victorious in the ever exciting matchup of Ali Reisman and Bill Goldberg. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, will it be Koufax? Probably. Do we know for <laughs> sure that it's going to be Koufax? No, 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 be. we don't. Did, did you see that they're uh, putting up a Sandy Koufax statue at Dodger Stadium? Yeah, apparently they're doing it on a Saturday, which is insane. They should My- not do that. My reaction was the same as everybody else's online, which was, I can't believe there isn't already a, a yeah, statue of Sandy Koufax at Dodger Stadium. It's Sandy Koufax. 
Do you think they were waiting for him to die? Maybe, maybe that was the plan. And thank God he's lived as long as he has. Yeah, he's so. just kept he's just kept going. But I I bet you, but it, them doing it on a Saturday afternoon game, like I bet you they change that. Somebody yeah. will say and the, and they'll move it to Rosh Hashanah or something, and then somebody will complain again, and then they'll move it to to a, a you know an average Sunday. Yeah. So uh, excited for spring. Excited to bring back the baseball uh passover seder which i will be hosting oh, we have again so on this much podcast passover. we have so much passover content prepared for you guys yeah so we're really excited for that uh keep listening to mench warmers wherever you can uh there was a good article on cjn and video from uh podcast host alan besner showing how exactly one should subscribe to a podcast so uh you know ask your children ask a younger nephew to show you how to do it and uh you know please like and subscribe to mentormers wherever you can rate and review us wherever you can um as always we are hosted by the canadian jewish news you can read all the canadian jewish news articles and content at the cjn.ca our executive producer is michael freeman uh and you can follow us on twitter at mentormers oh and a happy purim Thank you.